Good morning, everyone. So I love repeating Augustine's really central kind of maxim, which is that the Christian life is all about love. It's everything we do as Christians and as Catholics, it always comes back to authentic love. So Augustine tells us that the whole Christian life is the cultivation of holy desire. And what he means by that is that you and I have to learn how to love in the right ways. We don't like to admit it in public, but we all know we love certain things that we probably shouldn't. We all love ourselves a little bit too much. We think we're a little cooler than we are, especially me. And there are things we know we're supposed to love that we just don't. There are things you know it's right and you think, I know that I should love this, but it's just not there. And sometimes as modern men and women, we think, well, that's just kind of is how it is. It's not true. Brothers and sisters, you can feed your love for the right things. You can do that. Today, what I want to reflect with you about is our second reading. The second reading, we've been going uh, the last couple weeks through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And 1 Corinthians 7 is one of those readings when it comes up that I think most priests, they just kind of pretend it didn't happen, and let's just move on, and we'll talk about the gospel. One of my, last weekend when I was gone, one of our parishioners, a friend of mine, he said, I don't know, he was like, he's like, Father Brian, he's like, you're right. No one goes to Lourdes to feel good. He's like, you definitely stick it to us. I'm like, yes. But it's a hard chapter, and it's a beautiful chapter. So I want to reflect with you about that today. And 1 Corinthians 7 is St. Paul's treatment about marriage and virginity. The corresponding passage in the Gospels where Jesus talks the most about it is in um, Matthew chapter 19. So how do we understand this as Catholics? When I was in seminary, I went to lunch one day with uh, Deacon Darrell's son, with John, now Father John, and we were probably halfway through seminary, and we went to lunch, and it just happened that at lunch our waiter was the guy I went to high school with. And we hadn't talked in a long time. We were never very close. And he wasn't Catholic. I don't think he was a Christian. But, you know, you, you never know how to answer. It's like, I wasn't in my collar, I don't think. And he's like, so, Brian, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> just like everybody else. <laughs> no, but what do you do? What are you doing with your life? I'm like, yeah, I'm uh, going to be a Catholic priest. And that usually ends all conversation. Like, okay, what would you like to drink? (laughs) But he was great. He kind of, he had a a really refreshing curiosity. And he was like, okay, well, that's cool. He's like, he's like, well, are you married yet? And I was like, I was like, no, like Catholic priests can't be married. And he was like, what do you mean Catholic priests can't be married? I was like, amen, right? Like, (laughs) I I hear you. I didn't really say that. (laughs) 
But then he was like, he just kept pushing. He was like, he's like, wait, you can't get married? And he's like, well, can you, you know, can you, um, I was like, no. <laughs> and literally his jaw like hit the floor. He just, he, I, I'll never forget this. He looked at me, he goes, I could never do that. <laughs> it was great. The, brothers and sisters, virginity today, as in the time of Christ, is a, it's a scandal to the world. And today in the Christian world, aside from some of our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, the Catholic Church is the only church today that listens to what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 and what Matthew says, or Jesus says in Matthew 19. It's biblical, it's profound, but it's hard for us. What, how do we understand this? I think most Catholics don't really understand why priests can't get married. And I want to make an important distinction this morning. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is not talking just about priests. That's not what he's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 7, when St. Paul is talking about is a class of people in the church who would forego marriage. And we're going to talk about why. And it's not just priests. It's not just nuns. It was a much broader class of Christians in the early church than that. So how do we understand this? And I want to give you two important things just to start getting you thinking. This matters. How does the church still stand for this? Two just important kind of data points. Mary, the mother of God, is perpetually virgin. Perpetually. She was a virgin her entire life. Now, some people struggle with that because the Gospels, and this is not what I want to talk about, but the Gospels mention the brothers of Jesus and the sisters. Very quick apologetic, we don't have time for this. The word for brother in Greek is adelphos. Uh, sister would be Adelphe. And so it talks about the Adelphoi, that's the plural of Jesus. The New Testament itself uses that exact same word for people we know who are not siblings. That word in ancient, Christian, in ancient Greek can mean any relation. It, means, it can mean a cousin, it can mean an uncle. It can mean anyone who's related to you. And we have many, many examples in Greek where that word is used exactly that way. The second thing is that at the cross, John, Jesus gives his mother to John the Apostle, which in a Jewish culture would never, ever, ever happen if Jesus had siblings. It would never happen. Third point, and then we've got to move on, is all the early church unanimously with one voice and they read the Bible much more than we do and they read it in the original Greek the early church with one voice says that Mary our mother was a perpetual virgin the entire early church says that so that's one data point the second data point today's one of those days I'm like crud this is going to be like four homilies I'm going to try and slow down the second point and this just matters and we don't think about this Brothers and sisters, it was not an accident that Jesus Christ was never married. It was not an accident 
It was something very intentional. So how do we understand this? How do we bring this all together? What is St. Paul trying to teach you and I today in, in the second reading? If you think if we're honest, we all know that our loves are partial. You ever have someone who loves you just a little bit too much? And it's kind of awkward. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah, you have. There's times when there's a love that one person has that isn't reciprocal. Or if someone loves you so much that you feel like you just don't know how to respond to it. What we tend to do is we tend to love in partial ways. I love people, but I don't love them fully. I love God, but I don't love them fully. Marriages, you know, in your own marriage, you know that you love your spouse, but you know you could love them more. That you're not fully there yet. But isn't there this desire in each of us? There is a desire, and we all have this. Every one of us, you know what you want. You know the deepest desire of your heart and soul is to love in a way that says everything. We desire to love in that way. I fail at that every day. But I, I always tell people, you know, you, you know you love someone not when it's like, man, I am really attracted to you. <laughs> or like, wow, I love you so much, I had a really good time with you. That's, that's wonderful, that's a type of love. But when you really love someone in the way you know that is authentic and the type of love you're meant for, is a type of love where you say everything. Everything I have is yours. And you start using big words. You use words that you wouldn't normally use. That's why weddings are so powerful. Right? People are making up their own vows. Sometimes couples in marriage prep will ask me, Father Brian, can I make up my own vows? And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then they're like, wow, I thought you were nice. But marriage means something. It's already Christ taught us what marriage is. When you get married, right, it's sacred, it's beautiful, Right? A couple, they, they speak those vows to each other. They say, I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. Weddings are so powerful because there's a love that doesn't say, I love you, I like hanging out. <laughs> I really, really like having a boyfriend. It's really cool, right? Do you ever hear that? I know I've quoted it before. You ever hear the Stephen King quote? He has this wonderful quote. He says, Harry Potter is all about having virtue, overcoming strife, doing the right thing. Twilight is all about how important it is to have a boyfriend. I'm like, oh, love it. I haven't even read Twilight. But anyway, we all want that. We want that love that's a complete love. And we all know that we have to grow into that. To grow into a love that's complete we have to learn how to say no to ourselves. We have to learn how to sacrifice. We have to learn to put someone in front of ourselves. That's what the cross is. 
the church from the first beginnings already in the New Testament, but all of our 2,000-year history has said the reason Jesus Christ did not marry was because he had a bride. And his bride was his church. And brothers and sisters, Jesus' love for us was not a partial love. It was not a love that said if. It wasn't, it wasn't a love where Jesus said, I will love you and I'll give myself to you if you're faithful. If you live a good life. I will love you as long as, or I will try. Jesus emptied himself completely and totally everything he had everything he was was given over because he loved his bride the church having loved the John 13 1 Jesus knowing that he had come from God and was returning to God having loved his own who were in the world He loved them to the end. And don't you want to love that way? Don't you want to love in a way that's not just like, okay, Jesus, here's part of my life. Lord, you gave me everything. You died on the cross for me. St. John Paul II says that on the cross, Jesus taught us poverty When Jesus died, he could not have been more poor. He did not have a loincloth. Romans stripped crucifixion victims completely naked. Everything he has is divided among the soldiers. Jesus is poor for us. He's chased on the cross. St. John Paul II again says, this goes back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It says that Adam and Eve were naked without shame. And we understand from the church teaching us that Jesus is the new Adam. And on the cross, he is naked without shame for his bride. And then thirdly, the great vow of obedience. You all know, if you're married, you know you've never been more obedient in your life, I hope, than to your spouse and your children. When you get married, you love someone enough to say, I surrender my own free will, my own decisions, just doing what I want to do because I love you. And Jesus on the cross is perfectly obedient. Now it's obvious, but brothers and sisters, think about that for a second. Our Savior loved you not partially, Not when it felt good. He loved you to the bitter end. And what ought to be the response of the bride of Christ? That's what St. Paul is talking about today. And so brothers and sisters, this is the inner logic of virginity. 
The inner logic of virginity says, of course marriage is good. It's holy. It's beautiful. It's created by God. But those men and women who enter into virginity, the inner logic is a logic that says, I have been loved like that. And I don't know that I could have said this when I entered seminary. I got a great education that helped me say things better. But I felt this. When I entered seminary, I felt this. I felt like, Lord, I, am, I wish you would have made women a little less attractive because it's a little harder than I wish. But, and I mean that, but, but Jesus, I want you to be my everything. All of me. I want to be poor because everything I have, I want to give to you. I want to be chaste, Lord, because I want my heart to belong only to you. And Jesus, I love you so much. I'm not there. I fail at this every day. But Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to surrender my freedom to say, Jesus, I will go where you ask me to go. You surrendered your freedom so that I might live. Lord, I want to give my freedom to you. Brothers and sisters, those three promises, that's why we do those. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I just want to tell you, I fail at all three. And I fail at all three pretty much every day. But I'm trying. The bride of Christ, that's our response to the Lord. The Lord, you gave me everything. How could I give you just a piece of my life? How could I give you just a little bit of me? You gave me everything. And I'm not there yet, but I want to give you everything in return. Okay, so now that our married people are getting depressed, um, no, I'm just kidding. How do you, so if you're married, part two, if you're married, how, or if you're called to marriage, the vast majority of you in this church are either married or are called to be married, and that's good and holy and right, and it is as it should be. Some of you, by the way, and I really mean this, some of you are called to virginity for the love of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you're necessarily called to priesthood or to be a nun. It might mean that too. That's a separate talk. But some of you are called to that vocation. You are called not to a lesser love. Sometimes people think that. They think, oh, people who are celibate, they, they just didn't fall in love with someone. That's not what celibacy is. Celibacy is a love for God that has driven you to poverty, chastity, and obedience. If you're married, how do, you, how do we move on from that? How do you say, well, I'm married, Father Brian, and so my life obviously doesn't look like that. Good. <laughs> Marriage is such a beautiful, holy thing, but here's the challenge to all of you who are married or who are called to marriage. You are called, when you were baptized, the day you were baptized, you became a member of the church, the bride of Christ. And your marriage somehow has to be ordered to the marriage. You have to understand, your marriage should look different from people who aren't Christians. 
Marriage is such a good thing, but Christians know that their marriage is caught up into the love between Christ and his bride. And when I see you, married couples, when I see you, this should be what should happen. Ephesians chapter 5, St. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as the church is obedient to Christ. When you see a marriage where husband and wife lay their lives down for each other, what should happen is those of us who are called to virginity should say, they know how to love. And I want to love my bride, the church, the way that that man loves his wife. So important, so critical. Brothers and sisters, let me leave you with this. Let's go back to the wedding image. So at weddings, I get, you know me, I'm always emotional. We're going to talk about that in heaven, God, if I make it. <laughs> but in, at weddings, you know, we have a lot of weddings here at Lourdes, and, and it's just so powerful. And like when that bride comes down that aisle, it's just so beautiful. It is so powerful. And I always get kind of choked up. And sometimes the grooms are like, Father Brian, are you okay? (laughs) I'm like, it's just so beautiful. (laughs) And he's like, you remember that I'm marrying her, right? Not you. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) It is so beautiful, right? And, And there's a sense of like couples have made it. And brothers and sisters, every one of us, St. John of the Cross says this. He says, in the evening of life, When you are judged, when you go before God, you will be judged on one thing, and you will be judged on love. You will be judged on love. And love is not a feeling. Love is a surrendering of your life. And a couple on their wedding day has real love, but they're not there yet. Marriage will teach them how to relinquish themselves for the good of their spouse and the good of their children. The church of God, brothers and sisters, the Catholic church, the bride of Jesus Christ is called to be poor, chaste, and obedient because she loves her groom. Your life, somehow, it's going to look different from mine and it's supposed to, But somehow in your life, you must have those three things. And it's because nothing in this world can take the place of the one who loves you. Jesus, our groom, we love you, but not enough. Lord, inspire our hearts and flame our hearts. Lord, that we would not settle for lesser loves. Jesus, we want to love you with all of our mind, all our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Lord, may we give ourselves to you the way you gave yourself for us. And in a small way, in a a growing way, Jesus, make our love complete. 